Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, Horizon West Church. Thank you, Socrates and team, for leading us in, uh, in worship and for reminding us of the freedom that we celebrate uh, today, both freedom as a nation. Uh, when the, the independence we declared on July 4th, 1776 took another step forward in being realized on June 19th, 1865, we celebrate Juneteenth, and we celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ most, most of all. Scripture says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And today we're going to talk about the Spirit of God and what He wants to do in our, our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus. Uh, I too want to recognize those of you that are dads. I know we clapped once. Can we once again just thank the dads for what they do? Uh, granddads, uncles, uh, stepdads, foster dads, we appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And in Spanish, I want to say, Feliz de los Padres. Did I say that right? I'm working on the Portuguese, I don't quite have it yet. I want to, uh, I want to begin this part of our time uh, in the way that I've begun every morning this week. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Have your way in me. Would you, if you're comfortable doing so, just open your hands, palms up, and repeat those same words with me this morning, June 19th, 2022. We say together, good morning, Holy Spirit. Have your way in me. Amen. Earlier this week, I had a meeting at the French Cafe in Hamlin. If you've not yet been, you're missing out. Great place to meet folks and, uh, and get a crepe. Un- unbelievable. I'm not, I'm not doing a commercial. But anyway, that's a great place. And I was there. I was there on Tuesday. I was meeting somebody that I had not ever met, only uh, exchanged emails. And this individual had a name that I had never heard before. Um, and so I-, I show up at the French Cafe at the appointed time in the appointed place and I do a sweep of the room. You've been there, you know. Um, it's, uh, you know, the person here, I'm not really sure who I'm looking for, but if I look confused enough, somebody's going to help me out. And then I see a man and I, I, I say, hey, are you, you know, this individual? I say the name and no, 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 no. Okay, all right. A couple minutes after, after the appointed time. So I just sit in, the, uh, in one of the chairs outside of the French cafe and I'm just watching. I'm looking for somebody who looks like they're running a little late and maybe, maybe you know, a person that would meet with me. I don't know what that person looks like, but I'm looking for that. And then it's like, we're beyond the five minute mark. Like I never text somebody or email within five minutes of a meeting because everybody gets a five minute grace period. If I'm meeting with you and I'm five minutes late, don't text me, I'm coming. But this was getting into the like eight or nine minute uh, area. And so all I had was the email. I didn't have a phone number. So I email, I say, hey, I'm, I think we're supposed to have a meeting. Is that today? And, and this person responds and says, um, yeah, it's today, and, um, and it's at the French Cafe, but you might be at the wrong one. There's two. I said, oh, okay, that's probably what it is. I'm at, I'm at the one in Hamlin. Response comes, yeah, I'm at the one at Hamlin, too. And I'm, and then all of a sudden, a, a woman approaches me. She says, Chris, and y'all, here's how dense I am. In my mind, the man had sent a woman to tell me that he was running late or something. And she says, I'm, and she says the name, and I'm like, you're like, okay, reorient. What, what? Uh, not, not that that's weird, but I, when you're expecting something and something radically different shows up, I just wasn't ready for it. 
I tell you that to say this. As we look at and teach on the Holy Spirit over these last few weeks and the few to come, we're diving deep into his identity, his working, like, like who is it that the Holy Spirit is? And I want us to be informed and I want us to know, and here's why. Not just because we can have more information, not so we can accumulate facts. I want us to know who the Holy Spirit is and what he's about so that we can experience him. See, as long as I didn't know the identity of the person I was meeting, I sat passively in a chair waiting. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to introduce himself to us in the pages of Scripture and in our lives in a way that seeps down from our conscious minds, down from our cerebral understanding of him into the experience of his presence and his power in our everyday lives. Today we're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And if you are someone who likes donuts, you know that the filling is the good part. The filling of the Holy Spirit. This, this term has created some controversy over the years. People have split into different tribes and camps and denominations based on this idea of filling of Holy Spirit, or it's sometimes called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And quite simply, I think one of the reasons that confusion exists is that the enemy of God and the enemy of our souls always seeks to create confusion where truth matters. Nothing matters more than that through faith in Jesus, you come to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and live his purposes for your life. The entire redemptive plan of history, it culminates in the Spirit of God coming to mankind and being experienced in the fullness of who he is and what he means for us. And so we're going to attempt to answer three questions related to the filling of the Holy Spirit today or the baptism of the Spirit. Number one is going to be, when does a person receive Holy Spirit? Number two, are Christians always filled with Holy Spirit? And number three, what is the evidence of Holy Spirit's filling? Okay, so let's walk through that together. Number one, when does a person receive Holy Spirit? This is the question that probably has created the most divisiveness among Christians. As I articulate my belief and the belief of this church, please do not take this as a weapon against those who believe otherwise. They too are followers of Jesus. They too have the Spirit of God. But my belief and the belief of this church is that the Spirit of God comes into a person at the moment that they put their trust in Jesus for salvation. In other words, wherever Jesus is welcomed, the Holy Spirit comes with. It's kind of like the salt and pepper shaker. You don't pass one without the other. When a person receives Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of them. I want to give you some evidence for this in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, there's no such thing as a person who is a Christian but does not have the Spirit of God. That doesn't exist in the pages of the epistles. Secondly, and even more clearly, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, in him, meaning Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the full possession of it. You say, Paul, when did we receive the Spirit? He says, two things happened. When you heard the word of truth and you received it. In that moment of belief in Jesus and forgiveness of sins, the Spirit of God came to dwell in you. So then why would anyone believe that the Holy Spirit comes at a later time? Well, 
I'll show you in a moment. There's this thing called second baptism. Some of you have been uh, familiarized with this in different churches or denominations. I want to unpack it a little bit together. Two passages that primarily people would point to to say that there is such a thing as a second baptism. In other words, there is a second work of God after salvation that is when we get the Holy Spirit. One is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Let me turn there uh, quickly and read it straight from the Bible. Acts 19, verse 1 through 6. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Huh. Verse three, and he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So this one is going to be a little easier, or significantly easier of the two to to talk about, because in this instance, you will notice a very important distinction. Those who were believing the message they heard had not yet heard the message of Jesus. What is this thing about John's baptism? Well, you, you would remember that John the Baptist in the first century, he comes onto the scene and he preaches, repent for the kingdom of God is near. John is sent to pave the way for Jesus. He's saying basically, friends, change your hearts, soften because the one who is coming to bring salvation is on my heels and you need to be ready to receive him when he comes. And what was happening is that this individual, Apollos, with all the right intentions in the world, took this ministry of John the Baptist all over the world and said, repent because someone is coming and he's going to bring salvation. And so you see in the book of Acts, the apostles coming behind Apollos going, whoa, 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 you're halfway there. The Messiah already came. His name is Jesus. This baptism of repentance is only part of the deal. Jesus wants to baptize you with Holy Spirit. So these believers, so to speak, in Acts 19, had not yet put their trust in Jesus. And when they do, Paul puts his hands on them and prays, and they receive Holy Spirit. Let's look at the other one, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. And this one is a little more challenging. Acts chapter 8, 14 to 17. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them and received, and they received the Holy Spirit. You go, whoa, 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 I thought it's when they receive they get the Spirit, but in this case... There's no reason to speculate that these Samaritan believers didn't really believe the gospel. It's clear that they responded to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus and believed, and yet, by the time the apostles get there, they'd not received Holy Spirit. You go, oh, case closed. There is a second baptism. <laughs> but let's, let's pause for just a moment and look at what's going on here. Let's, let's seek to answer the question, why did the Samaritan believers not receive Holy Spirit at the time of their conversion? I want you to notice that in both Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 19, the Holy Spirit comes on believers through the laying on of the hands of the apostles. This is somewhat unique, and I would argue maybe completely unique to the book of Acts, 
when the apostles were still living and laying the foundations for the gospel throughout the earth. Do you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit, and then when he comes, you're going to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the story of Acts is the story of the way those same apostles went into Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, and Samaria, Acts chapter 8, in fact, many call this the Samaritan Pentecost, and Judea, other parts of, uh, for instance, Cornelius, a Gentile comes to faith and receives the Holy Spirit, and then to the ends of the earth, i.e. Ephesus, where in Acts 19, the Holy Spirit falls again. What is happening here is describing the work of the Spirit in the first century. It is not prescribing the Spirit's work in the 21st. Are y'all tracking with me? I, I know that's a in, in other words, not everything that's written in the Bible means, and this is exactly how it goes, or this is what we're to do. Everything is written to teach us, but when we take clear teaching of the epistles, like you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, and compare it to descriptive uh, um, uh, stories of what was happening, we go with the prescriptive. We go with what is clearly taught in the epistles in the New Testament. And so I want to I lead us to a word of encouragement and a word of caution. Number one, word of encouragement is this. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And that's remarkable. That, that means no, no matter what your IQ is, no matter how strong or, or gifted you are, no matter how good you look, no matter how funny you think you are, if you trust Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit of the living God is dwelling inside of you. We've got six-year-olds, eight-year-olds who have genuinely put their trust in Jesus, and I believe the Spirit of God lives in them to convict and to comfort and encourage and teach. It's remarkable. And this is so important because otherwise, like me sitting outside of the French cafe, some of you could be sitting there going, well, I've believed in Jesus, but I'm just waiting on the Holy Spirit to get here. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. What do you have by faith? You've got everything. God backed the truck up and just dumped it all in. All that you need in Christ, you have through faith in him. That's the encouragement. Here's the word of warning. The spirit of God does not come into our lives to satiate us, but to make us thirst for more. And what I'm trying to get at is if we put the Spirit too tightly into our theological box, we go, oh, no, 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 the Spirit came like back in 1996, and he's, you know, in me, and now I'm going to heaven when I die, and he's the guarantee. And I go, but what about everything in between? See, I believe I've not had a second experience with God. I've had a third and a fourth and a hundredth and a thousandth, and God just keeps on showing up in my life to lead me into greater things. This is the work the Spirit wants to do. And so I, I want to be careful that we don't, as we, as we kind of discern this, this truth around when the Holy Spirit comes, we don't just like package him up and go, okay, Holy Spirit, stay there, because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to break into our lives in new and profound ways. So the Holy Spirit comes to everyone who receives Jesus, and his ministry in our lives is meant to lead us into the fullness that God has for us. Here, here's the second question. Are Christians always filled with the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to give you a yes and no. Here's the yes. The Spirit of God is always present and active in the life of a believer. Not like in the Old Testament where David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit's not coming and going. He's not like a weekend visitor. 
When you believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit was given to you as a deposit guaranteeing your salvation, and he's a permanent resident. But does he always fill us? I would say to the answer, the answer to that is no, not in the sense that we're always living in the fullness of what Spirit of God has for us. Here's another way to say it. He is fully accessible to the believer, but he's not always fully accessed by the believer. Because see, sometimes I want to go, Spirit of God, I know, I, I, I know you're tugging over here, but I want to pull over here. <laughs> and I have the ability, and I wish I didn't have it. You have it too. We have the ability to hinder what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives because we have what we've been talking about today. We have freedom. We can do that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit. That's why we're going to give you root beer at the end of the day and not beer. Do not be drunk. Great Father's Day message. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul's saying that because the implication is you're not always filled with Spirit. He's always present. He's always active, but sometimes we let addiction. Sometimes we let substance. Sometimes we let fantasy. Sometimes we let despair. Sometimes we let sin hijack us, take us off of the path. It doesn't mean the Spirit of God leaves us. It means that I've done what Paul says in two different places. I've quenched the Spirit. It just means to put out the Spirit's fire. Or I've grieved the Spirit. I like that one because it points to the personal nature of Holy Spirit. We know that in relationships, we have the ability to grieve one another. We can do that with the Spirit of God. And we grieve the Spirit of God when there's a clear instruction or something he's asking or calling us to do and we fail to do it. Last night, uh, my wife asked me to do something that was very important for what is happening in the kids' ministry today. And when I got to the church, she texted me and said, you didn't do the thing that I asked you to do, and therefore it's impacting check-in. And I'm like, oh man, I've grieved my wife. But here's the thing, I'm still married, at least as of 11.38 on Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. We're not that fragile. She was actually very gracious. We can grieve the Spirit of God, but y'all, some of you have been in broken relationships, some of you are in failing marriages. Spirit of God isn't going, well, you failed me, I'm out. He's, 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 he's working in you and with you and for you to redeem you, to win you, to, to, to again rekindle the fire of the relationship that he has with you. So what about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? You heard that term? I'm going to go ahead and, and, and go there today. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I, I grew up, I heard this term, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit because uh, anybody that blasphemes the Holy Spirit is never going to be forgiven. Y'all, that is not a good verse for a young child to hear because I'd be like, oh man, I can't think anything bad about the Holy Spirit. Like I can think bad things about Jesus, but God, don't help me think bad things about the Holy Spirit because then I'm going to hell, you know? I want to I make the, uh, the assertion that that's not what Jesus meant when he said that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. Matthew chapter 12, we're actually not going to take the time to go there. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and, and what's happening is that they're looking at the work of Jesus by the power of the Spirit of God and saying, that's Satan. Ooh, that's, that's a little strong. God sends his perfect son into the world. He's raising the dead, and these guys are going, that's the devil. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? 
They were attributing to the Holy Son of God and the Spirit of God satanic and evil works. And, and Jesus says, look, if that's your posture, you're never going to come for forgiveness. You're never going to receive, because you're going to remain in a posture of defiance, never able to acknowledge the work and person of Jesus for what it is, the work and person of the Spirit of God himself. Now, I don't think this is a one-time thing, because in fact, I know some of those same religious leaders who had resisted the Spirit's work eventually put their faith in Jesus and became part of the early church. So Jesus isn't saying, if you ever speak a word of blasphemy, like it's a one-time deal, you're, you're, he's saying, if the posture of your heart refuses to acknowledge the Spirit of God in the world, you're never, you're never going to get there. You're never going to come for salvation and for faith. So the Holy Spirit is always going to do his part in our lives, but we must be tuned into his directives and submissive to his leading And that's how we experience the fullness of God and the Spirit of God in our lives. Here's the third question. What is evidence of the Holy Spirit's filling? Now, I would would put it in this way. Jesus, we know, was the exact representation of the Father. So the Son of God is the exact representation of the Father of God. That's what Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says. He's the divine imprint. He's the exact image and representation of the Father. So what about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit of God is the exact imprint of Jesus. So to answer the question, what is evidence of the Holy Spirit's filling, it will be some of the same things that were true of Jesus should be true of us. And this is important because the reality is the Spirit of God is not the only Spirit that exists in the world. You are aware that there are other spirits, correct? Some of you come from countries where spiritual activity, although it's always present, is highly visible and central to experience. Like, you've seen people who are tormented or possessed by demons. You've seen exorcisms. Some of you have. Others of us may be living in, you know, uh, America where the enemy's goal is just to blind us to spiritual reality altogether, right? Like, just keep them fat, happy, and their bank accounts filled, and they'll never think about it, right? But Jesus says there are other spirits. John in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How in the world do you test a spirit? Right? Like, what, what, John, what are you talking about here? Let me give you some handles by which you can test spirits to discern whether they are truly the spirit of God or another spirit. One is truth. We know that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth, and the spirit is extending the ministry of Jesus by being the spirit of truth in our hearts. That's what Jesus calls him. So so truth is going to be always in line with the spirit of God. I, I said it last week, but it bears repeating. The spirit of God will never lead you to do what the word of God forbids. It's never going to happen. Truth is, is the simplest test by which you can hold up. You hear some, some guy, you know, teaching and preaching, and man, he's got like these aren't skinny jeans, so these are like slim fit, but he's got skinny jeans, and he's doing the whole thing, and, and he's a great orator, and he's, and you look at his life, and you go, man, there's, there's not truth in what he's teaching. <laughs> like, like what he's saying, just that's not what the Bible says. Like, reject it. Doesn't matter how eloquent, how charismatic, how cool. If it doesn't line up with truth, it is not from the Spirit of God. Paul was rebuking the Galatians for their propensity to believe any spirit who came claiming to be of God. And he said this, listen, if even we, the apostles, 
or an angel from heaven comes with a different gospel than the one you received, let him be condemned. Do you know that there are at least two and probably more world religions with millions and hundreds of millions of adherents that at their base, they started by somebody saying, hey, I got another revelation from an angel. Paul's like, I put it right here. (laughs) I put it right there. You've got the gospel. The, The fullness of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that's the gospel. Stay in that because if somebody comes with another message, it's not from God. We test the spirits for truth. We also test the spirits for godly character. Godly character in the life of another person. When I was in my early 20s, I worked for a ministry called Youth for Christ, and we did, you know, campus clubs in middle schools and high schools, and and I was wanting to kind of do even more, and so I developed a friendship with the director of the local Boys and Girls Club, and I gained permission from him to do a 30-minute Bible study with kids after school on Thursdays. And these weren't church kids. These were just kids coming to the Boys and Girls Club. And, um, and his, his part of the deal was that he was going to bring pizza to get them to come. And I'm like, that's fantastic. They were even going to pay for it. By the way, I told you I was in my early 20s. I was there for the pizza too, but that, that didn't need to be known. Um, no, I was there. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to see these kids encounter God in a, in a cool way. And so I started teaching them. And I probably would not do this now, but like on week two of that Bible study, I taught on the Holy Spirit. And um, just as an aside, the first three or four times we met for Bible study, we went like an hour and a half and the kids left and forgot to eat the pizza. <laughs> we, 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 we treat sometimes kids and students like all they care about is, you know, no, 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 no. Kids and students, they're hungry for truth. They're hungry for it. And so we unpacked this thing about the Holy Spirit. And, and, and one of the kids, he goes, oh, Mr. Chris. He goes, I know somebody that's got the Holy Ghost. That's what he called him, the, the Holy Ghost. I said, oh, yeah? He's like, yeah, Mrs. Clark, man, she's full of the Holy Ghost. And, and then his friends kind of look at him and go, Mrs. Clark ain't filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and they're kind of arguing. I'm like, well, I said, hold on. I said, why do you think she's filled with the Holy Ghost? And he said, man, because I go to church with her. And Sunday morning, she's, she's dancing, and, and she's singing, and she's calling out, and she's in it. You know, she's filled with that Holy Ghost. And his buddies were like, yeah, but have you seen her at the grocery store? <laughs> like, have you seen the way she talks to her kids? That, that woman's not filled with the Holy Ghost. She's filled with something, you know, but these 12, 13, 14-year-old kids could discern that when somebody's walk doesn't match their talk, it's the walk that's true. Like, like the walk will tell you who they are. One of the verses that I'm hanging on to for dear life in this age of, call it what you will, disinformation or, or, or trouble discerning truth or alternative facts or whatever, like it's hard even in the church, you've got people saying diabolically opposed things and you're like, man, who's right? What is truth? We've got the word of God, but we can also do this. We can also look at the character and the fruit coming from those who are trying to proclaim truth. Listen, Paul said, here's, here's the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Jesus said, you're going to know them by the fruit. This is the fruit. And so again, when, when that man or that woman comes along and, and they've got the branding behind them and they've got the machine with them and they're filling auditoriums much larger than this and preaching from platforms much larger than this, but their character is toxic, bullying, self-absorbed, narcissistic, 
It doesn't matter what they claim and it doesn't matter what they say. It matters what's in their spirits. You'll know them by the fruit. So, so we hold this up, and, and, and I would just ask this by way of just kind of a rhetorical question to ask yourself. If someone observed your life for a day, would they see the fruit of the Spirit in you? If somebody sees you on the 429 going or coming from work, will they see patience? Will your kids see it? Will your spouse see it? Will your coworkers see it? See, there's a lot of people claiming a lot of things, but, but when a person lives their daily life, they will manifest what is true in them. When you shake a branch, whatever falls out of it is what the tree is. If it's a coconut, it's a coconut tree, whatever it tells you, okay? So truth and godliness, two of the tests, and then a third is this, power. Power. Dunamos is the, is the Greek word. Um, in 2004, um, I got acquainted with four friends. It was the fall of 2004. Their names were Charlie, Francis, Jean, and Ivan. Some of y'all know where I'm going. These were hurricanes that came in 2004 to Central Florida. How many of y'all lived in Central Florida in 2004? Okay, these guys were not friends. They, they, were, they were enemies. Uh, they destroyed the little town I, was, uh, I grew up in. They, they wreaked a lot of damage. And since then, we've seen Irma and we've seen Matthew. We saw Andrew in 92 in Homestead. I mean, we live in Hurricane Central. Central Florida, Caribbean islands, where most of us come from, one of those two places. We, we, we know the power of wind. And Jesus says, those who are born of the Spirit are like wind. There is a, a force and a power in the lives of followers of Jesus that is undeniable. And, and I say that because our, our tendency as a tribe, and, and we affiliate with the Baptist church, and, and so, so what our tendency can be is we go, well, we've got the truth, check. We've got the, the godly character, we're, we're patient, we're kind, check. But do we have power? Do we have evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead at work in our lives? Is it evident in our talk and in our behaviors and in the way we interact with people? Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 12 said what might be the most challenging verse in all of the Bible, but I'm going to read it and we're going to wrestle with it. John 14, 12, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. How in the world could Jesus say that his followers would do even greater things than him? He says, it's because I'm going to the Father. And what happened when Jesus went to the Father and sat down at the right hand is he gained access to the Holy Spirit and poured the Spirit of God out at Pentecost and into the life of every follower of Jesus since that time. And Jesus is saying, the greater works are going to come not through my earthly ministry, but through the Spirit of God ministering in the lives of followers of Jesus throughout the world. Now, one huge caveat, obviously, Jesus' mission was unique. Nobody else saved the world. <laughs> Nobody else died for the forgiveness of sins. Like, that was his ministry. And yet, Jesus says, you're going to go into the world doing the same kind of things that I'm doing, and it's going to have an even greater impact, in part, because now there's not just one man filled with the Spirit of God, but there's millions of men, women, teenagers, children all over the world in all different tribes, speaking all different languages, manifesting the kingdom of God by the power of the Spirit of God, and that's a greater thing. But he also says, you're going to do the things I do. You go, yeah, but Jesus could heal people. I can't do that. Well, it's true that you can't do that. 
but perhaps the Spirit of God can do that through you. We can have a tendency to be so skeptical of the abuses that exist in some of the charismatic churches of our brothers and sisters that we just shut it all down. And I just want to encourage us, the same Spirit of God that raised the dead is at work in your hearts and in your lives. And by the way, we've, we've seen it. Not, not, not I've seen it because I'm a pastor. I'm saying we have prayed for people as deacon teams. We've prayed for people in different families. We've seen cancers dissolve. Like we've seen miraculous things happen. The Spirit of God is able to manifest in the life of believers in ways like he did for Jesus. And I don't want to be resistant to that. I want to say, God, if, if you've got more for me, I want it. When I was in high school, there was a couple that kind of blew up my theological box, and it started with the simple words on their license plate. <laughs> they were from South Florida. People are different down there anyway, but they, their, their, license plate, their license plate said, More, Lord. And these people lived that way. Mark and Ruth Chivas. I'll never forget them. If God was in it, they wanted to be part of it. And they weren't crazy. They weren't wacky. You know what they did? They loved people unbelievably well. They had an incredible joy of the Lord in their expressions. They actually worked with uh, severely disabled young people who had been abandoned from their homes, and they created a, they called it the baby house, and they raised these children. We'll know them by the fruit, right? But, but they also had this, this I'm going to just call it this charismatic fire that made me curious to go, maybe God has more than what I was given in my early childhood. Maybe it's, it's not that this is wrong. It's, not, it's maybe that my understanding was incomplete. And if God is in it, I too want more of it. So we're going to kind of put a pause to our conversation there. And I was going to address speaking in tongues, but we don't have the time today. And so we're going to pause. Some of you are going, man, how can you talk about evidence of the Spirit and not talk about speaking in tongues? The reason is I want to give it more time and treatment. We're going to get there in about two weeks. Okay, we're going to have that tongues conversation. But the way I want to end today is in this way. As we commemorate Juneteenth and we remember and celebrate freedom that came in uh, 1865 for the last remnants of those who had been um, subjected to slavery, we celebrate the freedom of that. And we say again that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I learned something this week about Juneteenth that was kind of one of those like, something just clicked for me. And I'm going to see if it clicks for you as well. We, we learned, uh, Marcy and, and uh, Socrates and I were on a Zoom call. Wycliffe Bible Translators has a, a cultural department, and they were doing a, a teaching on the origins of Juneteenth, and it was super cool. They had a Juneteenth historian from Galveston, Texas, was, was on the call teaching us. And he said something. Of all the things, it was all very good, but one thing he said really, really stuck in my mind. He said, when the Union soldiers arrived in Galveston, by the way, most of them were black soldiers. <laughs> I think it was three out of four at that point of the Union soldiers in Galveston, Texas were, were black. And those men walked to the door of Reedy Chapel and they posted General Order Number 3 on the door. And General Order Number 3 declared freedom for anyone who was enslaved in the state of Texas and anywhere in the South. You know what my mind went to is something clicked with me? 
when Martin Luther realized that the church in 1517 had become toxic and corrupt and controlling and that God wanted to bring greater freedom through the gospel, he went with his 95 theses and he posted them on the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Freedom came with a post on the door. And then my mind went here. When Jesus was bleeding out for the sins of the world, his last words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He posted something for us on the door of the church. Because scripture says that at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying that the one who had dwelled in the temple, the Spirit of God, was breaking out, was going to bring freedom to the world through faith in Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And he said it with a post on the door of the church. It is right whenever we talk about freedom to acknowledge where our freedom ultimately comes from. It comes in the blood of Jesus. And what we're going to do in just a moment is we're going to take the Lord's Supper or communion or Eucharist, depending on your uh, background. Simply, it's the bread and the cup. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread and gave it to his disciples, said, this is my body broken for you. Eat whenever you do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he passed it and said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for you. Take whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so we're going to do this. If you did not receive the elements of the Lord's Supper when you came in and you want to participate, would you slip your hand up so we can get those to you? I know most of you got them. Some may not. I want to make sure you do that. And, and let me just offer this. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if for you this doesn't really symbolize anything more than a cup and a wafer, then it's really not meant for you. It's meant for those who would take the bread and the cup with a full understanding and knowledge that all we have is the mercy of Jesus. All we can claim is the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. And it may be that there's some of you, you've not yet been a believer in Jesus, but today you're going to take the bread and the cup as an indication of your response, that you're giving your life to Jesus for the first time, I would encourage you to do that, even if it is the first time that you have. And so would you do this with me? Would you peel back the top there and take and eat in remembrance of the body of Jesus broken for us? And as the body of Jesus was broken, his blood was poured out for our forgiveness. Would you take and drink of the cup in remembrance of the blood of Jesus? The Apostle Paul says that whenever we take of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until the moment he returns. I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me. Uh, we're going to sing a song that we sang last week that once again just invites the Holy Spirit of God to come and take his place in our lives and the team will lead us. But as they come up, would you go with me before the throne? Father in heaven, thank you for the good gifts that you give. Thank you for, for the gift of Jesus. That you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. So undeserved, so grateful we are for the gift of Jesus. And God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
God, that you would not only save us, that you would not only forgive us, not only not hold our sins against us, but you would give even your very spirit into our hearts as a, a deposit. God, we thank you for the gift and the working of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray this week to greater levels than we've ever experienced in, in, in new ways. God, would you help us to walk in step with the Spirit of God in our lives, and you will get all the glory for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.